Producer Elise here. Just a quick content warning before this episode. The following interview contains a brief discussion of the death of an infant with ichthyosis. This discussion occurs around the 20-minute mark of the podcast. If this raises any issues for you, please feel free to skip forward a few minutes to the next section of the chat. Throughout this episode, there is also discussion around ableism and disability discrimination. If this raises any issues, we've included a full list of resources in the description of this episode. Carly! Carly Finlay! I'm so excited to have you on for a number of reasons. First of all, I've been following you for a very long time. I think you do such amazing work on Instagram and in your book that I need to read, actually. But also because you've just told me that you've started rollerblading. (laughs) Yeah, I started last year in lockdown, but um, I haven't been able to go this year because uh, it's very hard to find a place now that all the playgrounds and stuff are shut and we've only got a 5K zone. So now I have a place to go and I can roller skate again. I tried to start last year and I only did it a couple of times and then I I think lockdown happened again. I was in Brisbane and I wasn't good enough and now I'm kind of scared to get back into it. How long did it take for you to be good because I don't know if I should give up or not? It took ages. I mean, it took like putting on my skates a few times a week and getting good like that and going out with people as well. I don't want to do it alone in case I fall down, but I'm much better than when I started. Because I want to do it on the boardwalk at Bondi, but I'm scared that I'm going to, that's the only place that's flat near me. I want, anyway, this is not about, this is not a roller skating podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I was really inspired by the women on Instagram who were roller skating. That was what inspired me. And then I thought, oh, I could pick this up. I did it when I was 12. It is not the same. It's like we're purposefully making ourselves toddlers again. Like, (laughs) like we're, like learning to walk or learning to we're learning to skate like it's literally like it's a whole new movement it's crazy anyway again <laughs> this is not this is not a discussion about rollerblading this is a discussion about you Kelly Finlay I like I said I've loved you for a really long time and followed you for probably I reckon 18 months maybe two years anyway we got talking in our dms the other day and I thought fuck I'd love to have you on the podcast I've always thought you were so busy so I've been like oh You've been on my list, you know what I mean? But I've got you in lockdown post rollerblade. Roller skate, sorry. Roller skate or blade? Roller skate. I've got so much on today. And as a writer, I rarely write. And today was my writing day, but I've had like so much on that I just haven't written this thing. I've got a writing deadline after this. Well, I'm sorry. All right, well, we'll get, we'll get on quickly. I have so much to talk to you about. I posted a little story saying what do people want, want me to talk to you about, but also I watched when you were in uh, You Can't Ask That. I obviously follow you, so I already had an idea of what I want to talk to you about. But I think we'll start off by like literally half the questions that people wanted me to ask you about was about your fashion. So I think we'll start off with that. Literally, it was like, how do you mix and match patterns? Someone said, I know you were in the Gorman group a few years ago. Are you still in the Gorman group, people? <laughs> and also, where where do you get your fashion inspiration from? Because you're, I think Elise described you as the poster girl for Gorman, is how she described you where before we started recording. Okay, so I started wearing Gorman probably like five or six years ago when I could finally afford it because it's expensive. So when I had a, you know, I got a, I got a husband. Not that he keeps me, but we have a, we, we got a double income, right? So I didn't get a yeah. husband, so I could uh, get him to keep me. That's not the case, but I, uh, you know, it it was easier when we when we had a double income. So I started wearing it about five years ago, and I made some really great friends through that, like other people that wear Gorman, other women mostly that wear Gorman, and it's been amazing. But last year. 
in about December, I would say, I was pretty dis- despondent with how they did disability representation. So they were doing stuff for NAIDOC and marriage equality, really important issues, but not ever on disability, not making their, their stores accessible, not making their content accessible. So I took a stand and I made a post around how disappointed I was that they did not recognise Disability Day, which is in December. And as a result of that, I said I'm not going to buy any new Gorman. I have like a lot of old Gorman and I still wear that, but I have, I've only bought one, actually, that's a lie, I bought one new thing from the shop because Adam gave me a voucher for Christmas. He doesn't read my blog, so maybe that's why he missed it. Well, Adam, Adam, keep your finger on the pulse, please, Adam. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm going to send him some links to non-Gorman uh, clothes for this Christmas. Um, and then I lost my jacket, one of my favourite jackets. I lost it on the train at Christmas time and I bought a secondhand one on eBay. So Secondhand doesn't really count, I would say. So I haven't bought any new Gorman this year except for that mm. voucher so I did I put like a little bit of money but yes overall not shot from them and I'm finding other brands but I am still in the Gorman group I mean still in the Gorman outfit of the day group it's still good people also want to know the number one question this is asked like three or four times was how do you figure out how to mix patterns and colors such a good question okay so I don't have many patterns and colors on today I have a lot of colors but only uh, one pattern there's only uh, I'm only wearing one thing <laughs> Oh, right, 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 right. We were like, Elise and I both just went, I feel like I'm very plain today. I'm plain Jane. This is a big, big colour burst. This is by Lordy Dordy. I've never bought from Lordy Dordy before, but I bought a, thing, a dress the other day from Lordy Dordy um, and a T-shirt as well. And I bought something for my friend and agent whose birthday is very soon. And she does really bright patterns. So I put on things that, I don't know, just make me happy. I yeah. find a lot of different patterns maybe that have the same color or the same theme so I don't have it right now in front of me but I'm wearing a Care Bear right now because I'm so into Care Bears but I did have a wattle brooch on because this is like Australian print oh so it's a theme I go with the theme so if I'm wearing Australian print I wear like an Australian print brooch or I wear a different print in a different brand but still Australian print like the other day yesterday I had on a very bright mermaidy print kind of dress top Mm -hmm. but it was all rainbow so I wore it with a rainbow necklace because it was very much like a rainbow this helped me a lot because I don't ever wear patterns I'm too scared but I think the theme makes it look cohesive is what we're learning here Elise is good at patterns and colors actually yeah and I wear like I I do have like black layers or colored layers sometimes today as wore black because it's been a busy day couldn't really want to you know I didn't really want to decide much this week um I get a lot of underlayers like colored underlayers from the Uniqlo and other places I just mix and match I do love roller skating in different patterns as well like I wear my dresses when I skate and Carly should we start a roller skating podcast I feel like we're obsessed with it Sorry, Elise wanted to ask you something. Carly, question. Do you know of Iris Apfel, the newly 100-year-old? Because I was going to say, like, she's my style icon. Is that someone you aspire to? I remember watching Bill Cunningham's New York a few years ago at the cinema. So Bill Cunningham was a very famous fashion photographer in New York. And he, I think he lived till he was nearly 100 as well. And he'd cycle around on his bike and he'd take photos like street fashion and he profiled Iris Apfel who just turned 100 and she just like more is more with her 
You know, she puts on more things when she leaves the house, like Coco Chanel says, take something off. She adds, I need to look this person up so I can get some inspiration about patterns and colours and stuff. But also, like, I really love just seeing other people wear clothes, like regular, everyday people, friends. Friends inspire me for, like, wearing clothes. And I feel like if I'm with my friends that I met through the Gorman group, we often, like, play it up and we dress, like, more is more is more. And then Mm -hmm. when we're out together, like, people will know that we're with that group. Yeah. It's like a uniform, a very subtle uniform. If someone's wearing beige, we know that that's they're not with our group. We can identify them. We can see, we can see that they don't belong. If they're wearing beige, sorry, sorry, out of the Gorman group, <laughs> I'd be fucked. I'm <laughs> always, I'm always in black beige, or like I'll put on like a purple just for Elise because Elise wears purple all the time. It's like her thing. But I have like at, at times I've worn black, and people have asked if I'm okay, like. <laughs> Am I okay? Um, I needed a black top. I, I had this really great vision of having this like black high-low hemline top, but I didn't know yeah. where to get any because I, who sells black tops in the shops that I shop from? I don't know. I had to ask someone, where do I get a black top? But it was very specific. Um, it wasn't just like a black tee. Yeah. Yeah, you needed a high-low moment. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, I'm glad we could answer the questions because literally it was half the questions were, were fashion-related. I love that most uh, people ask that. It's just great. Also, I love that... More people like now stop me to say I love what you're wearing or comment than ask me about my appearance. And the other day on Wednesday, I was just having, it's just been such a shit time in Melbourne. And I was just having such a ugh week. And I wore this ridiculously big tutu, which is purple and this top. I don't, I don't know what top I wore. But yeah, it was for Wattle Day. So I was wearing, I can't remember now. Anyway, I put mm. it on Instagram. But this guy yelled out of his car, or maybe in his car, hey, kids, see that woman in the great purple? Oh, my God. A positive cat call. It's weird how those little things make you so happy in lockdown. I had a similar thing. I was screaming along to a song in a car, my window's down, and the man next to me at the lights put his windows down. I thought he was going to do something weird, and he just went thumbs up and was like, yeah. And I was like, that made my day. It's so sad that that was like, I was giggling the whole drive home. So you touched on on Gorman before but you do a lot of work in the disabled space and I was obviously like I said watching your the you can't ask that that you were in god at least I was saying how amazing you can't ask that is you don't forget that it exists but you don't you don't think of it ever to watch then once someone sends you one you end up in a rabbit hole of you can't ask that but I saw on on there that you said that some people was saying that you shouldn't be classified as being disabled. I wanted to see if you could speak on that a bit. And also let the audience know what your condition is because I assume everyone knows who you are, but that may not be the case. (laughs) Sorry, I just assume people know my guests. I was born with a rare skin condition called ichthyosis and I don't know the amount of people that have it in Australia, but it's very rare. It's quite severe. I'm on the severe end. There's lots of types of ichthyosis as well and I have a very severe type. My type's called Netherton syndrome. And while I've had it all my life and it is very painful and itchy and inflamed and it gives me a different appearance, I never identified as being disabled until probably when I was about 25 or 26. And that was when I met other people who were disabled. And I realized like our barriers and our bodies are very much the same. Even though we didn't have the same conditions, they had different Mm. medical conditions to me. We experienced things like lots of hospital time, lots of specialists, lots of discrimination, time off work, time off school. And Mm -hmm. then I'm like, oh, wow, okay, yes, I'm actually like chronically ill. And then when I started writing more around this stuff, I realized that, you know, I too was disabled because we learn about 
bodies and barriers. So our body isn't at fault. It's the barriers that society creates, like environmental barriers, like a lack of Auslan interpreter or a lack of lift or stairs or a ramp instead of stairs or attitudinal barriers, like the, you know, the way people talk about disabled people in the media. So they're the barriers that are disabling for us. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, and this is genuinely a question that I had when you were speaking about this, and I what I wrote down was, why is it important that you are able to identify with this community? Is there a danger or benefit in labelling different degrees of disability or different, like what, how? Yeah, I guess just labelling. Yeah, great questions. Um, So identifying as disability means that I can ask for what I need now. Like I went through mm-hmm. school going, well, I'm not disabled, so why would I need any extra support when I actually did need extra support? And, you know, I can, I don't particularly get any kind of support from the government I don't I'm not on the DSP I don't get the NDIS but I do have a disability parking permit now because when it's very hot in the summer I uh need it because I can't walk very far in the heat and so Mm -hmm. I actually didn't know this but if you put up your parking permit in any spot so you're not even taking an accessible spot you get free parking I'm like oh my god so that's probably the only kind of tangible benefit to this situation yes but also it is about identity and it's about community and it's about pride and you know like disability pride means that you are comfortable with yourself and you don't feel shame in asking for what you need and and apologetic for how you look and how your body works Mm -hmm. and how your mind works in terms of like classification so many people are I think scared to call themselves disabled if they are disabled because they don't know what the umbrella of disability is so, you know, disability means that you could be physically disabled, intellectually disabled, you could be deaf or hard of hearing, you could be blind or have low vision, you could be neurodivergent, so autistic or have ADHD, you could be chronically ill, you could be terminally ill. And I mean, I think there's a danger in labeling like severities, you know, like high functioning, low functioning kind of labels. Um, mm-hmm. But absolutely, I recognize my privilege in that I I don't have as disabling barriers as other people. And you know, my body is sometimes more reliable than other people's. We are all, you know, one one community, I think. May I ask why there's a danger in differentiating high functioning and was it low functioning? Yeah. I don't feel like I could talk to this because I'm not often okay. in that community, but I feel like it may play down the barriers and the discrimination and the struggles that people have. And also, like, I get I get sometimes people telling me, oh, my brother who's intellectually disabled is far more disabled than you. I don't know why you call yourself disabled. Like, I get that there's, there's a level of that, but also, like, I don't like playing the oppression Olympics and there's really no wins in having it worse. So, yeah, I absolutely acknowledge my privilege and my ability to do things more than other mm-hmm. people can do things, but also the discrimination and the barriers that I've faced are very similar to what other people have faced. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes sense when you say things like accessibility, yeah, and needing extra help and being able to ask for the, if that makes complete sense, yeah. Um, if you don't have the language to do that, then how can we ask for the support? You know, like I went through my whole life, not through any fault of my parents, you know, they raised me as, as any other child, but I didn't really know how to ask for things that I needed. And so if I said, if, you know, if I could have ticked a box that allowed me to get, you know, not have to sit outside during sport time, like mm. watching the sport in the heat, then that would have been much easier than, you know, fighting for what I didn't get. So, yeah. 
And I guess as well, it allows you to identify yourself as part of a community and then learn more from other people in the same community as you, right? Like, Yeah, it, absolutely. But- like I feel like since I've started writing about this stuff, I've met so many people, I've learned about myself, but more about other people. Like to be a writer, you have to read and you have to like reference a lot of sources and do your research and all of that. And it's just been amazing to meet so many people. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Someone asked something that I've actually heard a bit about um, from TikTok, to be honest, and that is inspiration porn. And I was wondering if you could touch on that and talk about it because someone said that you spoke about it uh, and they, they learned about it from you. So Stella Young, who was a disability advocate, ad- activist, writer, comedian, she passed away in 2014 and she was very young. She was only 32 and she really changed the way, I believe she really changed the way disability was shown in the media. She was very present in the ABC and also other places and um, was really vocal and, and was integral to the implementation of the NDIS as well, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. She did this really great TED Talk, which I think stemmed from an article that she wrote for the ABC called I'm Not Your Inspiration, Thank You. And she said that disabled people do not exist to inspire non-disabled people. So we are not inspiring for just getting out of bed, for doing our job. So sometimes when I write for the media, you know, they share a little article on Facebook and my thumbnail will come up, the picture of me will come up, and people will say, oh, my God, I see this woman on the train. She's so inspiring. But I'm not doing anything. She's sitting on the train and losing your jacket, losing your Gorman jacket. (laughs) (laughs) it's like they're not inspired for great things it's like they're just inspired by us doing the everyday things because they think that our life is less than theirs that oh well if Carly can do that looking like she does wow what am I complaining about yes this is what I want to talk to you about as well and this is something that I've spoken about with lots of different people from all different intersections just personal friends not on the podcast before but I want to speak about and someone asked this in the question box as well how you feel when people say wow you're so am- how are you so confident yeah that's weird I just it's weird it is a like a judgment on how can you be so confident when you look like this or so when I was younger I reckon it was till I was about 30. I know I only look about 25, but I'm actually nearly 40. Are you really? Nearly 40? Yeah, yeah. And that's also one of the great things about ichthyosis. My skin renews really quickly and I look very young. Beautiful. I'll come back to that confidence question. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. A few years ago, I got invited to my high school reunion, like a 19-year reunion, and don't know why. But anyway, like I was just about to release my book and I'd done, you know, was doing really fun stuff. I'd been on your car and Anyway, so I was in the chat, like we were in a Facebook chat, and it was just like I was at high school. They just kept on ignoring me, you know, like as, and speaking as though I wasn't there. I'd say something and no one would respond. So I found a photo of me, like, from school. 20 years prior and then I found a photo like I took a photo of me that, that day and I said hey I just came across this photo from school I haven't aged <laughs> suckers <laughs> oh, they responded but I left the group I'm, I'm, I'm not drop that bomb and then leave and and Carly Finlay's left the chat yeah 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 exactly <laughs> um in terms of the confidence thing like until I was about 30 I would like only wear quite muted tones you know so I would prefer grey to because I didn't want to stand out more so I had all these great clothes I'm like oh god I can't let someone look at me more than they already are yeah so I just thinking why did I do that like it's kind of punishing myself 
And then, I, you know, I have people say, oh, you know, it's so amazing. People like you are out there. I had someone, we're talking about this on Twitter the other day. Someone was talking about how they um, just get really condescending remarks around being in a wheelchair. And I said, when I, I worked for Kmart when I was at uni, I had this customer that came in and they said, oh, it's so good to see someone like you out, not locked away somewhere. <laughs> oh, my God, the things people say, the things they that person had that thought, it computed in their head and they use their linguistic skills to put it out of their mouth so that you would hear it. Are you fucking si- oh. But they think it's a compliment and they think it's like the whole you're so confident thing. I mean, they, they think that's a compliment because that's a compliment because they, they couldn't possibly do it. But you know what? It's a real reflection on them. So I feel like, and people have contested this, and I absolutely know that this is a judgment that I'm going to make of other women, but when other women and men cannot, and non-binary people, gender diverse people, cannot be in a space without makeup because they are like, oh, my God, I'm going to look hideous, but they've already got beauty privilege, like they already see themselves or people like themselves in the media, online, they're not made Mm -hmm. fun of. That shows me how they think about people like me. So a few years ago, I responded to an article that was written on a women's website where a person was like so worried about their face without makeup because of what they might look like. Now, obviously, that's internalized shame that they have and, you know, perhaps they need to talk about that. So I responded to that through an article and I had, you know, I'd said the way you you talk about yourself when you have beauty privilege, is very indicative of how you feel about people with facial differences like me. While your first word problem was acknowledged as a first word problem, I remember that day that I had received some, you know, hate speech around my face, but also there was a baby with ichthyosis in India that was killed. In different cultures, ichthyosis is seen as such a terrible thing, you know, a curse. Mm. And so have some perspective, but also think about the way you... Talk about yourself because it mm-hmm. really reflects on how you feel about other people. So when someone says, oh, you're so confident, I know that they're not confident in their own skin. Like if someone has to use filters all the time on their photos because they can't show their own face, like, I don't know, how oppressive is that? How Absolutely. And it's adding to the cycle, isn't it? When I have a photo with someone, like if someone says, can we have a selfie? I'm like, yeah, no beauty filters. I've had people go, how do I turn this off my phone? Because they're, they're, you know, just on the phone naturally. But I will not accept someone putting a photo of me up that's airbrushed. I don't want that. Yeah, I saw you actually said for your wedding photos, the photographer asked if you wanted anything airbrushed and you were like, no, why the fuck? No, and I mean, they weren't rude about it, but it was just like. No, and that's a normal question. Elise is getting married soon, actually. And that's a normal that's a normal question, isn't it? Um, I had a photographer ask if I was going to be wearing my glasses on the wedding day. <laughs> and I had an optometrist say, oh, you can get contacts for when you want to look pretty. <laughs> oh, my God. And I was like, because I'm an uggo <gasps> now? Like, what? Just check my, check my eyes and let me out of here. <laughs> Holy shit. Check my eyes and let me out of here. I feel like, though, we have to play down our, our bodies and our, our disability and, and the things that make us different to fit in. And, you know, honestly, that's tiring. Like, fuck that. And that stems back to me not wanting to wear these bright clothes because I'm just like, I don't want to stand out any, any further. But now I don't actually care. Like, it's it's just exhausting. When I was younger, I wouldn't wear black because I would leave skin on my 
clothes, you know, from my scalp. And mm. and then I just stopped being shameful of that. It's just really like liberating not to care so much about that stuff. I mean, I use ointment and so that makes me very shiny and it also makes some of my clothes very shiny. So sometimes I'll get patches that make me look like I've wet myself or, you know, I've literally had to buy a new outfit one day because I just had this massive patch. But, you know, overall, no, I don't really care and and Adam, my husband, doesn't really care either. In fact, he says, you know, he finds part of me in his pockets. Oh, that's actually quite cute. That's really sweet. Oh, my God. That actually made my, like, heart go pitter-patter a little bit. A friend of mine was saying she's just moved into state last year and she was saying she misses finding oiliness from me and, and skin flakes. That's really sweet. I don't know if I'm just lonely in lockdown or if that's really cute. I can't tell. I can't tell. Like I, I said to her, oh, I could just send you a pack of my skin flakes in the mail. Oh. But, but that might... Express post, please. That could be both a threat and a gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could be a biohazard. Who knows? It could be illegal. Who knows? Oh, God, I feel like I could talk to you for ages, but I'm trying to get through the topics I wanted to speak to you about. The next thing that I want to talk to you about was, like, tokenism in general, but in particular, obviously, the Camilla show at Fashion Week, which was about six months ago. Oh, God, who knows? Time is time is a mystery. June. Yeah, it was freezing cold because I went to Fashion Week that week and it was so cold I wore a fur jacket. Obviously fake, everyone. Calm down. So basically what happened, for those of you who don't know, is uh, during the Camilla show, and I believe one other show as well. There was another show. I do not know. And I don't. I actually don't know whether that show was only Camilla. It might have been a range of designers. Yeah, I think it was – I double-checked this afternoon. I'm pretty sure it was one at least one other designer as well. But basically – at Fashion Week, and it involved Camilla, there was a disabled model who was in a wheelchair and obviously to show diversity, but the runway wasn't accessible. There were two. There was a... Oh, there were two? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so there were two, but the the runway wasn't wheelchair accessible. There were feathers, I think, or confetti. There was something that was stopping the wheels. Like paper or plastic or something, yeah. And the model came out in defense of Camilla. So I want to talk to you about that and I guess your thoughts on that. I'm assuming we, I know what your thoughts are, but I would love for you to tell me them. I mean, I they had that the model, Lisa, was one of those people, one of two people who worked as access advisors or consultants throughout. And I think if they've been working on it for so long, why was it that that we saw? Why didn't we see accessibility throughout? Like why didn't we see image descriptions on Fashion Week's Facebook and Instagram or captions on their video or actually why wasn't I invited? Why didn't we see more disabled people there? Like was Mm. this for non-disabled audience and, you know, that tokenism? I don't know. So many questions. But also when somebody who is disabled encounters inaccessibility and excuses it, then it says to the wider public, it's okay. When I encounter uh, discrimination, I will often make a complaint because I know it's not only going to, it never benefits me, but it's going to benefit someone else. I'm going to mm-hmm. speak up about stuff because it isn't just about me. It's about the wider community. And disability is so homogenized that people just think we're all the same person. You might hear like Kurt Fernley gets mistaken for Dylan Orcott all the time because they're both white men, wheelchair uh, wheelchair users and sports people, you know. So when somebody speaks about this and they say well I didn't see it as a problem because it didn't affect me it's showing well it didn't affect 
the wider community and many, many people from the wider disability community were angry, rightly so, um, because mm. they've experienced that. They've experienced not being a part of Fashion Week. They've experienced inaccessibility at events where they've had to walk or, or wheel up stage and they couldn't get on. Um, mm. They've experienced people laughing in the mob, laugh, you know, laughing those inaccessibilities off. And so when somebody says, well, it didn't matter for me, it's saying perhaps it doesn't matter for the community. So it's so important that we see this carry on all throughout the festival any festival any event because why was it that was given at airtime why wasn't it that there might have been accessible events I don't know because we didn't see that that's what tokenism is right yes that's what I was gonna say so so how would you in uh I guess in a nutshell I guess differentiate tokenism from diversity from genuine diversity when it comes to the disabled community so tokenism is when someone just gets us in for a tick box thing you know, mm-hmm. diversity is when it's just embedded, when we are there, when we are present, when we're not there specifically for a, a day or an event or disability day, but we're truly included and asked from the start, like, what are mm-hmm. your access needs? How can we help you? What do you want to see? All of that. I did an event a few years ago at Melbourne Fashion Week. It was three years ago the other day, and I po- reposted it, the video on my Instagram on Tuesday, I think was the day. So, in 2018, I pitched an event at Melbourne Fashion Week and I pitched an event called Disability on the Runway. And mm-hmm. they chose it, but they didn't want to use the word disability. It was then renamed to Access to Fashion because, you know, disability is seen as such a taboo word. I was like, well, fuck that. I'm using disability. Um, so it was yeah. like Access to Fashion and a subtitle Disability on the Runway. You know, I organised a lot of it. It was 19 models wheeling and walking the runway. It was amazing. We had like 20, I think 21 or 22 news items. So we had things from the local news like in Gippsland or Launceston where people were from to Melbourne-based news to national news to the ABC. And we also made it into the New York Times. It was amazing. And But Fashion Week did not acknowledge the event one bit. And so that is tokenism. Like when our work is not noticed, when when it is over there. And since then, yeah, there's been a couple of, you know, models in shows, but also, yeah, sometimes it's token. Some I've not been invited back. And actually when we went as a person that was like curated in the program, we got given tickets to a show. So I took one of my friends and colleagues and she's a wheelchair user, so I'm like, let's go to this show. A lot of it wasn't accessible. So the shop, they had a store, the lift had broken. They're like, oh, sorry, the lift's broken. She couldn't go down there. When we were sort of walked through by the organiser, you know, they were very like, oh, you know, be careful. There's a lot of crowd. And my friend would be like, I've travelled to Italy on my own. I'm fine. It was like, you know, really token, but but they didn't implement the very things that I implemented for the show. And so one of the things I'm really asking people to do is if they call out inaccessibility, if they call out ableism, show that on your own content. Like you can't talk about inaccessibility if you're not willing to make your own content accessible or you're going to get someone in as a token, you know. Yeah, and I guess that's also you were, when you were front-facing, it was all about showing that they were inclusive and and diverse, but then when it was something that wasn't going to be literally on front and centre stage, like literally just going to be, oh, I'm just attending this thing because I'm part of it, then it was not as important and wasn't a priority. So I guess that, yeah, that's disappointing. Absolutely. And, I mean, I'm so proud. It's probably, you know, one of the proudest things I've done 
in my life, but it was disappointing because we were just so overlooked by the very place that curated us. And also it was a lot of work. I can imagine. Uh, and I had like five Melbourne Writers Festival events on in the same week. And I, I also work at a festival as well. And so the festivals were starting like the next week and I was writing my book at the same time. So a bit busy, a bit busy for Carly. Speaking of accessibility for content, a lot of people ask what they can do as individuals to help the disabled community. And I obviously right now, especially in lockdown, our interactions with the wider community and disabled people is just content because what else can we do at the moment so what are some if you just want to do quick fire of things that we can do to make it more accessible accessibility takes time remember that like i know that you might only be one person doing your social media or you might have a small team but just do it like i'm one person you know so it takes time takes a little bit of money but a lot of it is free so things that you can do are putting image descriptions on your social media so for example Mm -hmm. an image description shows what is in the picture if I was to describe myself right now I am a woman with a red face short dark curly hair tied back wearing a very bright floral dress with a yellow care bear and a sun on its tummy and I'm um, I've got a cupboard behind me so easy right and then if you have a text-based image description you can copy and paste the text and put it in the caption because that means people who are blind or have low vision can understand what's in the photo and there's you know varying levels of, of vision loss the other thing is caption your videos so that people who are deaf know what's happening in them if you can't caption do a transcript I did a reel today and it was too busy like I did a lot of screenshots and it was too busy Mm. for me to include captions so I did a transcript in the thing and I said I've done a transcript because of that Mm -hmm. but then I reshared something else Cheria Pitt mentioned me on a podcast and so I reshared that little clip and I did the captions through a program called CC Subtitles but there's also like I use Clipomatic, um, and you can go and edit the spelling. I accidentally left a weird word in there, so it was like she was talking about diverse bodies, but then my typo meant she was talking about diverse fruit. The other thing, content warnings. So if you are talking about things like suicide, death, you know, pregnancy loss, blood, violence, all of that hard stuff, put a content warning on. Easy, free. And you're telling Mm -hmm. people and you're giving them the opportunity to make a decision around if they want to look at it or not. Well, I know some people just just say content warning or trigger warning and don't give the warning of what it is. And it's like, okay, well, that what you need to say what the category of content is, right? Sorry, that really irks me. I'm like, that's not the point. (laughs) Be specific around it. So I I went to the art gallery um, back in January, you know, when we could, and I saw this amazing, like, exhibition where it was just moving liquid on the wall like a, a, a what was it called like like a projection but because mm. it was moving I'm like well then that has the power perhaps to give someone a seizure so I put like content warning moving you know moving image or whatever I said so doing that yeah I, I often put content warnings for you know sensitive topics particularly around violence and discrimination and ableism and ableist language as well like if you're going to use for an example if you're going to discuss difficult content that includes ableist language like the r word or the m word put that like don't say the word just say this contains disability slurs and then don't use those those words um to make things accessible you know try not to use 
casual slurs like crazy or idiot or stupid, but also the R word, the M words, the S words. I'm not sure what the M word is. There's two. One pertains to um, intellectual disability and one pertains okay. to short staturedness. Oh, okay. Yep, 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 yep. I think we'll understand what that is. Don't use those words and call out when people do yes. use those words and don't. Don't say, oh, but language is evolved. Because honestly, disability slurs are never a compliment. So why, why are you using them? Absolutely. One more thing, I actually have just thought of it then. Just one more question before we go to your nightmare fuel. I don't know if you've got one or prepared, but we, we have one prepared anyway if you don't have anything that you want to talk about. But what's the best way to ask someone what their disability is? And obviously you wouldn't do this to a random person on the street, but say if you become friends with someone, because I, I think what I've found is you don't want to make the person uncomfortable. You also want to get to know the person and know their, you know, their life story and also what, what you can do to help. So is there a best way to ask that? So a couple of things. So people don't need to divulge their medical condition to strangers, firstly. And like you were saying, you know, you don't ask someone on the street, except we do get asked. I get asked all the time. What happened to you? Were you sunburnt? Were you burnt? Were you born like that? My brother's yeah. got eczema. All of that. My brother's got eczema. No, some, I'm not going to lie, Carly. Someone did put in the question box, I have eczema. So I completely relate. And I was like, they try to attach their own experiences to yours. Don't ask upfront. And also, if you are asking someone about access needs, so say if you're throwing a birthday party when you finally can, you can say, yeah. hey, you're invited to my birthday party. Do you have any access needs? Or go, hey, I'm having a birthday party at this pub. Um, it has an accessible entrance. There's a lift and there's an accessible toilet. So state that stuff when you're planning. Like Keep access in mm -hmm. mind when you're planning so people don't have to ask. If you are asking a friend, like, do you need any access needs? Or if you're, like, in a job interview situation, just say, do you need any access? Do you have any access needs? Mm -hmm. Because people don't need to disclose if they don't want to, but they can still ask yeah. for access needs. And I can't begin to tell you how relieved people are when you say, do you have any access needs? Because they feel seen. They're like, wow, mm -hmm. someone's considered my needs. It might not mm -hmm. be disability related. It might be, oh, I need to go, and, um, you know, pump breast milk every two hours. Or it might mean I have to go and pick up the kids. Or it might mean I have to leave the room when you talk about this stuff because it is, you know. It's triggering, yeah. Those sorts of things. Um, but if you're wanting to get to know someone, ask. I hope you don't mind me asking. You know, what is your disability? Do you identify? How, how do you like to be called? You know, like, mm -hmm. do you want to be called a disabled person, a person with disability? Are you okay? What language would you like me to use? And also maybe even if you are out when with a friend who's disabled and something happens and you're not quite sure what to do, I don't think that doing nothing is great, like speaking up and saying, hey, that's not okay, but also mm -hmm. following the disabled person's lead because chances are we are encountering disabledism every day and we know how to deal with it. So, But if we are, you know, really stressed or whatever, note that and then write a complaint letter or talk about that stuff with our permission on Facebook and say, hey, I encountered this today. You know, don't make us an inspo porn example, but even just alerting friends to, you know, maybe maybe even like if someone gets called an ableist slur, disability slur, mm -hmm. you could then say, I've now seen firsthand how that feels. Don't do that, friends. I guess also not overlooking the disability. Like people will be like, oh, I look past it, but we don't. A lot of us don't want that. Like, this is part of us. This is us. We can't change it. We don't want to change it. So, and also following lots of people on social media who are disabled. Like, diversify your feed. Oh, my 
god. It's horrible. I can't believe you did that. What the fuck? Would you mind just not going out with him again? So we'll go into the nightmare fuel because it's God. I literally could talk to you for fucking seven hours, but I am gonna. I'll, I'll message you after about it actually. But okay, so we do nightmare fuels every week. Worst dates, fucking sex, or even just like a shit time. Like we had a comedian one time talk about when she. This is actually really cooked. She was in like a lineup, and whoever bombed on stage had to strip, and she was the only woman in the lineup, so she was made to strip, even though she was a short. So like. Any just awful stories of your life, basically, that you can go, that was fucked by other people? There's so many. Oh, my God. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely put a content warning on your podcast because what I'm about to say is, like, quite bad. So I went on a date with a guy probably in 2013, I would say, Mm -hmm. or 2012. It would have been 2013. I met my husband in 2013. So I went on this date with this guy. And I had met um, him because I was speaking at an event. So he knew what I did. He knew that I was a disability activist and I was a speaker and a writer. And so he and I went on this date to a pub. And we've, we've been, I think we've been out a couple of times before. I'm going to talk about suicide now. So if, you, um, if this triggers you, please turn off for a minute or so. He said to me that if he looked like me, he would kill himself. No. Yep, on the date. Also that he couldn't handle how public I was in talking about these issues. Elise is on the floor. Elise is literally, I wish you could see where she's literally, she went under the desk when you were talking about that. Are you, are you fucking serious? And then I remember speaking out to him. Like I sent him this very long text. I probably still have it. I think he invited me to his house warming or something that year and I just said, no, nah, I don't want to go. Yeah, pass. Thank you, though. I later met my husband, but it was just, uh, it was just shit. And, but also, like, these situations, like I had a woman, um, another thing when I was speaking, I had a woman who was watching me and I guess she got some sort of familiarity with me. I was itching. Like I, I get very itchy. My skin's itchy. And so I was itching on stage. Like it's just who I am. It's what I do, you know. Mm. And so I was having a drink with people and there was me and I know they won't mind me naming it, naming them because I've talked about it publicly before. I was with Celeste Little, who's this amazing Aboriginal writer, and also Joe Stanley, who is a um, radio broadcaster. And so this woman came up to me while I was talking to people afterwards and I was having a drink and she started scratching my arm and she's like, do you need a scratch? I saw that you were itchy. And I said, no, thanks. Sorry, I'm actually not a pet. And then, like, I had to tell the, like, I I told the organiser and she was like, tell me who. And then by the time the organiser spotted her, she was on her way out. It was, that was really weird. That familiarity was, because normally people avoid touching me because they're, they're scared of, like, catching it. It's not contagious or getting oily or hurting me. And so I'm, you know, I get spared all the awkward, weird kisses from old men and stuff, which is Beautiful. great. The other difficult thing was when I was on radio and the host, asked me what the hardest question I've ever been asked was and I said it was can you have sex and he said well can you (gasps) oh are you fucking kidding me why do they exist and then he said that my face wouldn't be so great at Halloween and so and he said a range of other things and I didn't know how to handle this I like (laughs) I did in your face but 
Carly, I will say I listened to that interview. You handled yourself very well. I would have exploded. What did you say? What did you say? I sort of just laughed it off and sat there and I sat through the interview. I thought, well, maybe I could have left or maybe, mm, I don't know, I just sat through it. But also I was a guest, so this is on ABC, and I was a guest on ABC Melbourne for very many months regularly, like probably for about a year maybe, and then after that, they dropped me. I didn't get invited back. It's dangerous to be a woman of colour, so I'm not white, a disabled woman, in the media who is at the liberty of, you know, white men who make these decisions. And so I went on the project the next night and there was a news article. It was like national news for maybe, I don't know, three days or something. And it was really weird. I had lots of people support me, which was great, mostly support, but also I had people telling me how I should have behaved, that I should have walked out, that I should have spoken up more. And I found it really hard. I I didn't really talk about it much until I released my book. Like my publisher Mm. said, oh, you've got to put this chapter in. And so I did. There's actually, hang on, I'll I'll grab, I've got this massive pile of books next to me. It might, they might fall down. But my book actually has a chapter. I'm going to do a spoiler here. So this is my book. Oh my God, do it. My book has a bit of a chapter. So it does, it, it does have a chapter called That Radio Interview. And I actually never mentioned the host's name because I don't, I don't plan to give him any airtime no but I have a chapter uh, uh, chapter 13 what page is that sorry I haven't read that book for a while I mean I I wouldn't imagine that you did just sit at home and go wow (laughs) isn't this an achievement is every night before good but making your husband read it to you after he buys you Gorman He has not read the whole book yet. And the other day, I um, I don't know whether you saw, but I had to write a piece for the ABC. Um, so I still do work with the ABC and, and things mm. are prepared. But um, I wrote about him doing the census without me because he did the census without me. So I wrote about the... The division of labour. I saw I saw you post about that or, yeah, maybe I read the article. I, know, I did think that was interesting, yeah. So uh, anyway, but but I did mention him there. It got a bit of a dig. I tried to make it humorous and I had a bit of a dig. Um, he still hasn't read my book, but I, I said something like, well, he should know these things about me because he has read most of my book. Um, <laughs> most okay. of it. So the chapter about, chapter 13, I will read it to you, very short. Chapter 13, So Can You Have Sex? To everyone who has felt it is their right to question me about my sex life, none of your fucking business. Ah! Wait, that's it? It is none of their fucking business. Why the fuck are you sick fucks, you fucking fucks? So many disabled people get asked. Like I've had, yes. you know, on, on internet dating sites and because it was way before the apps, I didn't use Tinder. Um, but, you know, those sorts of things. Um, people ask me, like men up front, I mean out sometimes when I've been on dates or or just like in on the radio. <laughs> Like I never expected that, but I just sort of laughed, and I I can't even remember. I I might have said I oh, I am I'm married or something, but it's just it's just really weird. And and pe- but people think that disabled people give up our body autonomy to yes. answer their questions. Like I mean, it's not only that; it's like, what's your lifespan? What the? F- but also, like, will you pass it on to your to your children? I remember writing something like, I feel. I've got a very, mostly very good social media following. I feel quite safe to say stuff in public, knowing that maybe it'll make the media or whatever. But, um, you know, it's relatively good. And I can't remember what I was saying on Twitter. But then I had someone jump in and say, oh, I just Googled it. And I know that there'd be a 50% chance of you passing on ichthyosis to your children. I'm like, 
<laughs> what? I'm like, I'm not some kind of curiosity. You're not some... Yeah, you're not some exp- like experiment or like some, like it's bizarre. There's so many types of ichthyosis and my type's quite rare and it would mean that I probably wouldn't pass it on. But anyway, hey, tell me what you think and tell me your, your genesis ways of thinking by Googling this. I'm so glad that they got their medical degree and decided to let you know your chances of passing on to children. When I told them, when I told them like I'm not a curiosity, they're like, oh no, well, I'm a biologist, I'm really interested. I'm like, I don't fucking care. That makes it worse. Doesn't that make it worse? If you're like, no, I'm actually, you actually are a curiosity to me. That's what they've said just then. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, I bet some of the stuff is really funny. I think the funniest thing I've ever been asked on, like, was on the train. I often get, like, weird things happening. The train seems to be a place for you, Carly. There's something off-centre there. And I had this man that, look, he might have been taking substances. I don't know. And he said, <laughs> he said, hi, excuse me, have you been licking lollies? I'm like, what do you mean? As I think he thought that I like I was licking a lollipop and then it slipped and I was just like <laughs> oh. oh my god. And you're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Funniest thing. And also like um Adam and I were out one day for lunch. He's pretty he's pretty good at answering like back sometimes. And um this guy comes up to me and he gives me this card and he says, Oh hi. I used to have ichthyosis and I went to a, like I went to a, a doctor in France and here's their card and Adam goes, bet you didn't. And I'm just like, bet you didn't. <laughs> but, but also, okay, so another thing, sorry, my, your whole thing might need to be two episodes because I've got so many things. No, this is fucking amazing. I just don't want to hold you up because of your writing time. I'm, I could be here all day. I mean, the deadline's on Friday. I can write it at 10 o'clock. I was in a restaurant. So my mum is South African. So I, in fact, I am, you know, I am of African heritage. I'm mixed race. And I had this woman come up to me. Um, Adam and I go to this amazing Ethiopian restaurant a lot. And um, that's where we had one of our successful dates. And we've had a lot of other dates there since. And anyway, so a few years ago now, and I was sitting, sometimes I position myself so I don't get stares. You know, I put, I, I face the wall or I'm not facing outwards because it's like a self-preservation thing. I don't want to be looked at and having to... Mm. You know, so I was sitting towards the wall and so this woman comes out the toilet and there's all these African um, artworks on the wall, as there should be, some of which, like, my parents have at their house. You know, my mum's got a lot of South African artworks on the wall. And she says to me, excuse me, are you in traditional African makeup? And I'm (laughs) like, what? And she says, (laughs) she says, oh, um, well, I'm just looking at the art and your face. And I, I'm like, what? I've got traditional African jeans, but I'm not. I've got the jeans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like not blacking up to look like an artwork. And Adam's just sitting there going, like, oh, that was just really weird. So like all of these things I write about or, or think about. But can I tell you something that I that happened that wasn't to me that was very funny? Yes, of course you can. I'm just sitting here in shock. I've what the when we went on our honeymoon to we went to england italy and france so you know lots of people gave us lovely gifts through money and so one of the things that we did was went to heston blumenthal's restaurant which he's that very famous chef that does all those weird food concoctions molecular gastronomy and so we went to this restaurant it's very very expensive and it's in like a very nice hotel and it was you know english weather or daylight stays forever you know here it gets Mm. dark at like eight but there it gets dark at 
10 or whatever. So anyway, we're sitting down and it was on a Sunday and the blinds were up and there's all this construction work going on. It wasn't affecting us. Anyway, the guy behind us was from the from America um, and he asked the wait staff to pull down the blinds because he couldn't handle the view like oh turn down like I can't look at that construction it's so ugly and he was complaining he was complaining to the white staff that the toilet was too far away that his fish was too fishy and she goes she goes oh why why did you come here tonight sir and he goes I've got a lot of money and I wanted to spend it so you wanted to just be have a little power trip you fucking dickhead I can't oh my god these fucking Adam could see him because I was sitting with my back to him and he and Adam was saying his wife was just like oh my god get me out of here can you imagine being married to someone like that and then like working I just work in hospitality for years and there are so many people like that that are just rude complete dickheads. and that's why the best test of what someone is like is how they treat wait staff and crew and uh you know like you can always tell someone's a dickhead if they treat people that uh are helping them out from another point of view is if you are doing your job as a wait staff or like um, customer service or whatever in a shop, you do not know if have to know a disability diagnosis. Like the amount of times I get from people, oh, what happened to you? And I'm like, you're literally doing your job. It's not going to make your job easier knowing this. Oh, what happened to you? I just, it just. You it should ask it back. <gasps> I want to that... say something really funny. Like I fell in a vat of paint. Yes. Do, Yeah. Be like, I watch too much Puberty Blues or like the Vaso or something. Like, have you seen Suicide Squad? What happens to Margot Robbie? Yeah, that's based off my life. It's actually no. a biography. No oh. idea, babe. The I Joker pushes her. Like, you could be like, actually, a lot of Marvel comic books are based off my origin story. <laughs> um, I am a superhero. I think you should literally do what Elise said and say, what happened to you? That's fucking... Sometimes I put like, back on them. I say, you know, that's really rude. I was in a shop in America just before I went to the theatre and I was getting I was getting a drink. And, like, Americans cannot understand Australian accents, honestly. It's like... Americans are just... Anyway, they're fine, I guess. And I had this woman, like, as I was handing money to the cashier, this other woman was like, oh, my God, like, what's wrong with your face? And I said, that's very rude, isn't it? And she couldn't, like understand compute what oh. I was saying and then and then she's like oh no I'm just asking and you should be grateful that someone's speaking to you looking like that I'm like what <laughs> it took her ages to realize what I was saying because of my accent and her you know ignorance oh Carly I just <laughs> I just also I love that like if like you've gotten the courage to speak up for yourself obviously and they've gone what and you're like Okay. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, for fuck's sake. Like, I, I, how frustrating. What? Sometimes it's not easy and sometimes I do break down, but most of the time I'm Of course. Close. I just put it back on them or call them out. But also, if you're a parent and your child says, um, hey, what's wrong with you? Like, teach your child to say, I hope you don't mind me asking, you know, what happened? But don't also make something up. Like, I get a lot of, oh, she's been silly in the sun. That didn't happen. I've been frolicking in the sun. I, I, I can see I can see the frolicking. It's where she's wearing a colourful top. She frolics too much. Like, I cover up so much. Like I've had um, people tell me off like for going in the sun just when I'm inside covered up. Like, you know, it's very no, rare I that don't... I've got any skin showing. So, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, the nightmare fuel section, I think everyone's got enough nightmare fuel. God, you, this, it's fucking incredible. And people forget that as well because you're such an, a vocal activist that you're also a real person experiencing this every day, obviously where it comes from. But I think as well, like you're saying, you do break down because it is fucking hideous. 
the things people say and tiring. And I'm so grateful that you have the platform that you do. You've curated the platform that you do. And I'm so glad that we had you on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure. To, I could talk to you for hours, but I feel like it's going to be, you know, I don't want to hold up the writing, Carly. I'm stressed about the writing for you. But thank you so much. Hey, let's catch up for a drink when we can. Yes, absolutely. I learned a lot as well during that uh, conversation. So thank you so much for taking your time and emotionally able to educate me. Emotional label is what I just said. Labor. Educate me, Elise, and everyone listening, and really appreciate it. It's so fun. <laughs>